Hey, FFR listeners, this is the producer Rob speaking. It's that time of year when everyone starts to think about the important things in life, like our taxes. Did you know that a donation to Feminist Frequency is actually tax deductible? If you have a few bucks a month to spare, head on over to patreon.com slash femfreak, F-E-M-F-R-E-Q. Help us out, but also help yourself to all the great exclusive content that's available only to people who are signed up on our Patreon. It becomes a little too real in ways that I'm like, I got to deal with this shit every fucking day. And it's not just like I have to deal with racism and sexism and shit every day. It's like the specifics of like Twitter internet culture. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Anita Sarkeesian. And I'm Kat Spada. And on this mini season of the podcast, we're eating the rich. What better place to do that than at a billionaire's private island with his big, dumb glass onion? Welcome, gang. We got a great weekend. Who's that? Benoit Blanc, the detective? Mr. Prompt, I cannot overstate my gratitude to be here. When's the murder mystery start? I need to find a motive. You're all friends. Why would anyone commit murder? The killer wouldn't hesitate to kill again if it covers their tracks. You must be really great at Clue, huh? I'm very bad at dumb things. Ticking boxes, running around, searching all the rooms. It's just a terrible, terrible game. Ryan Johnson's latest film reintroduces Daniel Craig as the stylish detective Benoit Blanc, or Benoit, if you (laughs) want to be goofy about it, Um, complacent with cabin fever at the beginning of the pandemic. Along with Blanc, a group of wealthy eccentrics played by Dave Bautista, Catherine Hahn, Kate Hudson, Leslie Odom Jr., and Janelle Monet are sent invitations in the form of intricate puzzle boxes. Beckoned by tech billionaire Miles Braun, played by Edward Norton, they arrive for a murder mystery adventure that turns into a quest to solve the mystery of what happened in the past that connected all these rich weirdos and what secrets they share. Oh, my God. I'm so tired of even reading the description again. (laughs) It's a lot. (laughs) And that's only the half of it. Uh, But joining us to discuss Glass Onion is the senior editor at Engadget, writing and podcasting about technology news and games. He also co-hosts the long-running film, TV, and entertainment podcast for Slash Film, the Slash Filmcast. Welcome to the podcast, Devendra Hardwar. Hello, folks. Happy to be here. Longtime listener. So it's great. It's always great to chat with the voices in your head, you know? (laughs) (laughs) absolutely i am so stoked for you to come on i've been you've been on my list of a potential guest Uh, i'm i apologize that it's this episode though and (laughs) the reason why i apologize Uh is because not only do i fucking hate this movie with a raging passion i like hate it more every day that goes on oh wow Um, well i did hear your tar review so i kind of i kind of have a sense of like (laughs) where our tastes may misalign right now Yeah. yeah But I also watched it not knowing we're going to record a podcast for it. So, like, I didn't take any notes. I have a terrible memory, whatever. Uh And I was like, I hated this movie so much that I can't even go back and rewatch it. So this is, like, extra just, like, I'm just going to offer a lot of ragey anger that has no backing (laughs) whatsoever. (laughs) It's going to be great. It is funny. I feel like, I don't know what it is about Ryan Johnson, but something about his stuff sometimes triggers this in a lot of folks, too. Like, I think... I don't think all the Last Jedi haters are are like, you know, crazy misogynists about like specifically what, but his sense of humor is something, you know, is is a wavelength. That I'm not sure is easy to get on sometimes, but I love it. Yeah. You know, I <laughs> like I uh, 
Yeah. Brian Johnson was on our side during Gamergate. You know, like I just, I just guy. have, He's, there, I have affection for mm-hmm. that. You there's know, there's a but broader just, feminist point in this movie too that I could relate to the first Knives Out, and honestly, every single thing he's done too. Like he, he is good. He's a good dude. Yeah. Yeah, I just he it's his film. I don't really <laughs> like movies that much. This is a very conflicted feminist, like. Um, white noise. I had this upsetting thought that, like, I like Noah. Oh man, I like Noah Baumbach more because of Greta Gerwig, and I mm-hmm. kind of feel mm-hmm. that way too about like Karina Longworth, where I'm like, hell yeah, <laughs> love her. Ryan Johnson, she's great. You got to be doing something right. What a what a power. Couple. What a power it's couple. And them. I, yeah. um, yeah, I I like vaguely worked on Looper for five minutes, so I have like oh, a really? little. Wow. I'm, so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it, we kind of. Is this another one? What hatred? That movie. That movie is so, so bad. Much oh my god. Okay. It's so okay. Bad. I know. I know. I could need to strap in it's over so, here. You know, yeah. it's so interesting because I feel like okay. I'm going to take a weird digression here, but I just rewatched a couple mm-hmm. of M Night Shyamalan movies. Love and him, love him I so much. I feel like yeah. he has grown on me, like mm-hmm. I especially mm-hmm. on rewatches, where the first time I went to I went to go see old in theaters because I was like, I love to live a meme in real life. I want to go see this. Sure. There's something wrong also, with that. It's a beautiful beach. movie to see in theaters. Like that that was weird. Yeah, worth why it. did yeah. I see it in like the Dolby Theater or whatever? <laughs> um and then I rewatched it the other night and I was like, this movie is kind of poetic and beautiful. This movie rules, <laughs> it rules, yes. And yes. I it may be dumb at the end, but it does. It has to. I remember yeah. seeing the trailer for it and being like, "This looks really yeah. interesting." And then all of it. Then the the title comes on, like directed by blah blah. You know, and me and my friend were like, "Oh no, you we know, can't watch that now." I mean, I feel like <laughs> Ryan Johnson is kind of in the same boat for me, where like his movies mm. are both stupider and less stupid than I'm expecting them to be, and I like that. Like, there's. I feel like you. I go into this movie thinking it's going to be like a higher intellectual piece of art than it is, and then it's like I enjoy the fact that it's actually not that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's, so here's the thing: is I enjoyed Knives Out, and then I rewatched it, <laughs> and I did not enjoy it, and was like, maybe this movie wasn't as good as I thought mm-hmm, it was. Mm-hmm. So I'm not. I wasn't on a. I don't really like Ryan Johnson kick. Like I, you know, Star Wars, whatever. I have lot big feelings about Star Wars, but like Ryan Johnson is like coming out on top in the Star Wars kind of bullshit Absolutely. world in comparison, Absolutely. right? Like a hundred percent. But like Looper was trash. <laughs> Uh, this wow. movie's trash. Wow. I just, I, I don't know. I, I was, I didn't even ask you what you thought of this movie before I invited you because I was really hoping oh, that you liked it because was, it's so yeah, much more yeah. interesting to I know, like. I really have... like this movie. I love this movie. It was in my top ten oh. this year. It's like in my top five actually. <laughs> I think, I, I think I can see part of it too. Like, so I've also heard another podcast like somebody else say this movie's just dumb, dumb, dee dee, dumb, dumb, dumb. And I'm like, what? Did we did we see the same movie? Because I think what Ryan Johnson likes to do and he tends to do is he deconstructs mm. a, a familiar genre and kind of like repackages it in a way that makes it feel fresh and new. I've also seen all of Peacock, uh, all yeah. his, uh, the show Poker yeah. Face on Peacock. I've seen all the episodes of that. Also, his new TV show that he um, did the first two episodes, helped co-write and like show run he has a great sensibility of like bringing something that we're used to and just like spinning it a little so that it's different. So it's not just a reboot. It is refreshing at the same time as being kind of reminiscent. Yeah. 
and this is where we uh-huh. where we're hit butting heads is I don't think this is refreshing mm. or interesting. Mm-hmm. I think this is old and tired. <laughs> I, I I think that Glass Onion is basically like liberal Twitter. And mm. it's just as sophisticated as that, right? Like it's like, you know, 240 character, a little joke joke here and there, like making fun of archetypes in some ways. Uh-huh. And it's nothing more than that. So to me, I was like just rolling my eyes the whole time being like, one, this movie is not going to age mm. well. This is a movie of the moment. Uh-huh. And it, it it almost feels late for me yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, but the... So I become more, I'm saying I became more angry about this movie as time has passed. And the more people who liked it, the angrier I got like, too, no. right? <laughs> it's the children who are wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, I went to uh-huh. on this trip for New Year's and it came up that like, you know, people were talking about this movie and I was like, yeah, fuck that movie or whatever. And then like some other movie came up and I was yeah. like, yeah, fuck that movie too. And so these are people that don't really know me or yeah. like know yeah. anything about me. And they're like, do you just hate everything? You just I hate like, all, the, all the good it. stuff. Uh, Tar also yeah. in my top five this year or last year. So, you know, whatever. You just have bad know. taste in movies. It's fine. <laughs> I just feel like I'm always the Goldilocks in these conversations okay. Okay. where I'm like, yeah, there are parts of it where I'm like 1000% I need to like, this is going to age like, like milk. And then mm-hmm. I also am like, I can explain why I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Yeah. 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 I think you guys have a good balance of guests, by the way. So <laughs> like, I it, totally, totally. You're getting all the viewpoints in. It's great. Yeah. So here. So, okay. I keep saying this. I mm-hmm. hate it more later. As I was watching it, uh, it was just kind of boring to me. Right. Like it was I was like, OK, like I like I was giving him the benefit of the doubt. Uh-huh. I was like, you know, OK, where are we going? You know, blah, 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 whatever. And like, I think I paused the movie about an hour in being like, oh, my God, we're an hour in and it's still set up like it just it dragged and it just never like went anywhere to me. So part of it was the actual like uh-huh. pacing of the film. Because It's two halves um, of a yeah. movie. It is, it is like what they describe, you know. So, yeah. It's again, it's unusual, right? No, what movie does that? What movie gives you the full setup? Yada, yada, yada. You solve the mystery, uh, the like what you think is the core mystery within like 30 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, like kind of towards the end. And then then it flips on you and you're like, whoa, you're like, wait a minute. But I guess I can see that. But I don't feel I think I was so fucking bored at that point that I was like, this is not an interesting like to me. I was like. Like at that point, there was nothing that could be done that was going to pull me out of my like doldrum that's, of that's watching this fucking like, movie, right? So the twist the didn't yeah. feel like a twist. Yeah, he yeah, takes yeah. the risk of like losing you in the in the early half too. And we had Ryan Johnson on on, on the film cast yeah. recently to talk about like to dive into this movie. And I even brought it up. Like I think I think Benoit Blanc is being kind of dumb at the beginning. Like what's up with that? And he's and then eventually it's revealed. Like oh, he is putting on an act to kind of like blow smoke up this billionaire's ass to be like oh. Oh, look at all! Look at this. That's your car. Yeah, look yeah. at this glass onion. It, it is all kind of an act to kind of like ingratiate himself and kind of figure out what's going on here. But it is a risk to kind of put that up there. Um, I don't know. I, I just found that really fun. So here's the difference too. Like I saw this movie for the first time um, in the mm-hmm. theater with a pretty packed like Friday night crowded. Oh my God. Like this is a general audience. It's not like a press audience or something. And people were just like, on board like every every like moment every laugh every like twist of this movie um i don't know if you, do you guys um typically do like a separate spoiler section or no we can of spoil up there nah. hey if you're listening okay. and you so, care about glass onion yeah. and you haven't watched glass onion <laughs> i don't know what to tell you stop listening but also come back because i think this will be a good <laughs> yeah. discussion um uh, but like the the twists and turns of this movie and where it goes i think it's 
I think it's genuinely very smart. And one of the more dismissive takes I saw about this movie early on was like, oh, man, this is just an Adam McKay movie. Right? Yeah. This is the first half of an Adam McKay movie. I'm like, how? Oh, how? I'm offended on Adam you? McKay's behalf. No, because <laughs> Adam McKay is the one out there making the like, yeah, you know, kind of low rent uh, back patty stuff for liberals. It's like, oh, oh yeah, you I feel this way. You disagree. feel so good about feeling this way. Whereas I think this movie is actively making fun of a lot of that. Like even just the sense of like all the celebrity cameos, the sort of like archetypes they're setting up here. It is poking fun at itself. And in its way, in that way, also poking fun at the audience too. And I think Ryan Johnson likes to juggle a lot of plates. Like I, I've never seen a simple movie from this guy. His first movie that I saw was mm-hmm. Brick. His like wonderful, like high school noir thing. I saw that thing in like a tiny theater in Hartford, Connecticut. Nobody knew he, like who he was. It was such a low budget thing. And that movie blew me away. Because it was so unique and so unusual, and the language and the writing was so sharp, um, and like to think, like to think, like man, he wanted to do a Star Wars, and now he's he's doing this like crazy Netflix thing. First of all, I just like to take a step back and admire that. But I, I think this movie is playing with the genre. It is it is doing a lot. I just the one word I would not say about it is that it's dumb. Because I've seen many <laughs> dumb movies. I've seen. All the Netflix like original movies, like was it the 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 one with the rock oh, Red, and Ryan Reynolds, Red where it's just like Dawn or something. Red Red Notice, <laughs> Red Notice, where it's just like, oh, you just you just want these guys to sit here and take like video of them as they do B roll and blow so, up cars. Okay. That's all you want to do. That's dumb I, to me. I Not was, good right. I was just yeah. talking to my friend that I watched this with, being <laughs> like, I don't fucking remember this movie. Tell me what to say on my podcast. <laughs> I have nothing to say, right? Cyrano de Bergerac. And uh, he was not helpful, uh, so for what it's worth, so this is all me. Mm-hmm. So I've been watching Vikings Valhalla, which is a terrible show. Like, it's just uh-huh. really, truly bad, right? Because I, I watch good, bad good, television. Good, like, B, B TV entertainment, you know? Sure, like, sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and so we were talking about, like, bad media, and I was like, the difference for me, if I'm like, this movie is bad and this TV show is bad, is that this TV show knows it's bad, mm. right? It sure. knows that it's a fucking mid-tier, mediocre, whatever, mm-hmm. where where Glass Onion, to me, like, thinks that it's really smart mm. and thinks that it's really, like, progressive and making all these commentaries and really, like, understanding the world and, like, get, bringing you along in this understanding. And to me, I'm just like, yeah, I don't, fucking I don't go. think it does. Mm-hmm. I don't think yeah. it thinks it's that. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, the the only reason I would agree with you, even though I just said that, is because of the history of the word glass onion, mm-hmm. which I also pisses me off and makes me hate it even more, <laughs> right? Because if you're like, I'm going to make this movie that's going to make you think that I think that I'm so fucking smart, but really it's all a facade to like, because the, the term glass onion is, it comes from the Beatles mm-hmm. song about how they were like annoyed that people right, were reading right. so much into their lyrics and like, so... So that like makes me even more angry of like, why the, f- what are you doing? So here's, here's the read on it. And it's like, uh, you know, I, I should not be like holistically looking at this. I should just be analyzing mm-hmm. the movie, but I'm so excited for Poker Face. The first episode just premiered and I haven't oh, watched man. it yet. So I good. Yeah. love the notion of Columbo ran for 20 years and Natasha, mm-hmm. well, you know, a bunch of movies and then 10 seasons or whatever. Natasha Lyonne wants to be that kind of guy. She wants to be that kind of guy in a thing. And mm-hmm. let's just make that kind of a guy in a thing show. Like, I'm into that. Yeah. And that it doesn't yeah. have to be like, but what if it was also about a dark night of the soul? It's like, no, like, I think he's just like, let's do a, mm-hmm. um, you know, murder of the week or whatever. 
So this movie, like watching it, when I kind of realized like a lot of it is dumb, a lot of it is dated and RIP to every filmmaker who tried to like comment on the pandemic in 2020 when they were writing a script and then the movie comes out two years later when it is different and weird and like uh, the whole I think like seeing what kinds of masks these characters would have worn like would have really Mm -hmm. packed a punch 18 months prior but I was thinking about like every other one of these movies in the 60s and 70s and 80s and I don't I think they are all that they're all kind of of the time they all are fairly simple in like their archetypes and caricatures of of who uh who the players Mm -hmm. are and so like watching it I think yeah I have this expectation that oh Knives Out is going to feel like some kind of redefinition of genre and I haven't rewatched it but now thinking on it I'm like is it it's going to feel like a very 2018 or whatever movie um and this feels like if you weren't on Twitter in 2022 this movie isn't for you and so if you know, somebody 10 years from now who is like a teenager now, this movie isn't going to do anything for them in the same way that like if I watch a James Bond movie, like it really doesn't do a hell of a lot for me um, because I'm just like, oh, yeah, this was probably great in like 1962 or whatever. Um, And I say that with like hopefully listeners know that I have a deep appreciation for older films. It's not like something where I just Uh can't tune into it. Uh, the Bond films are particularly like hard to go yeah. back to sometimes, where it's like it opens with him just slapping women for no <laughs> right. reason, for fun, just for fun. Right, and I I kind uh. of felt that way about like you know um, Kate Hudson's character in this, where mm-hmm. I was like, she is so of this moment, like this influencer, fashion, like celeb character. That type of person has existed for decades, but like. She's particularly 2022. And um, uh-huh. yeah, so I've, yeah. I enjoyed it, but I also feel like it's okay if it yeah. has like diminishing value for me. I'm not. For sure, for sure. Yeah. 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 And I think this is interesting. Like a friend was talking about how like they would prefer a film to use metaphor in a different time, like not of the moment, right? Like use a different time period, go out into space, go into the past to like talk about like contemporary issues. And And I was like, I don't like to me, I'm like, I don't want to limit the way that we think about storytelling to that. Like, I don't I don't want to be like, oh, you can't do a movie that is of the moment. Right. I watched Party Girl um, a few nights ago and and you're watching that and you're like, oh, my God, this is of this moment, like supremely racist, but also just the sensibilities and the style and whatever, like it doesn't age well you know like it is at this moment so i think that there is you know i'm making an argument that nobody else is making here but i think that like i don't want to discount the hey i'm going to comment on this thing that's happening right now and it exists right now for these Mm -hmm. people in this moment and this this movie was written like late 2020 i believe so he was working on like while they were in lockdown so it's like i wouldn't even say it's very 2022 because things have changed a bit since then but you know what you know what happened a freaking idiot billionaire (laughs) took over twitter is like he is now like almost single-handedly responsible for like one of the largest like communications platforms known to man. Uh, one thing I definitely uh, like want to ask Brian Johnson was like, is it funny that the real world is dumber <laughs> than like the billionaires you put you posited in your movie? And like it, it kind of feels that way. I feel like he called a lot of stuff here. Like 
this movie was written before Musk became, I mean, he, he was still like a big yeah. deal and he still had his fanboys, but now he has like a level of influence that is disturbing to me. And he is like out there, like, you know, destroying a major uh, communications platform for a lot of marginalized groups. Like that stuff is disturbing to me. I don't see that too far removed from the like dumb ideas uh, going on here from Miles Braun. And um, I don't know, like, I, I don't feel like it's too dated. If anything, he's using archetypes that, yeah, existed at the time, but I think is doing interesting work commenting on them. Like that Kate Hudson role, first of all, she is hilarious. She's just funny. She's being, I feel like movies uh, all of a sudden forgot that she could be this thing where she was in a lot of crappy yeah. rom-coms for a while. I think it uses her well. I think it uses the entire cast well. The Batista thing is hilarious to me because you see he is, he's a streamer. He's a streamer. I like his sort of like, there's like an offhand thing when he's uh, shooting um, his video yeah. to his fans and he's like, take that feminist. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just like, just like a beat. Like, yeah, feminist, take that. <laughs> and then you see that he is, he's a mama's boy yeah. living, living his mom. His mom can slap him down. Like it's th- those sorts of dynamics. It's not exactly fresh. You know, it's definitely on the nose. Um, but I, I found it really entertaining and really fun and certainly with a crowd. And then I saw it back at home with my wife, who is also a fan of all these Ryan Johnson things. And, um, she really enjoyed it as well. I have to say, like, Janelle Monet doing double duty in this movie as, like, a really... We see her in two different ways. I think she's really interesting here. I almost worried, like, oh, my God, did you kill Janelle Monet twice right. in your movie, Ryan Johnson? How god damn you? And then the movie got me by, like, by the reveal of how she survived and everything. So it's like, I had a lot of fun with it. I think sometimes, and certainly for movies like this, you kind of have to let go. You kind of have to, like, go for the ride. And not try to outsmart the movie and not try to, like, bring in intentions into here where we don't know the full story right. yet, right? So there, there's a lot I could read into movies. And I, I'm certainly angry at a lot of movies about this, too. Like, I think Adam McKay's stuff. I don't, are you defending some Adam McKay I movies? I am, yes. Which ones? Like, I liked uh, him I, earlier, like, in the Will Ferrell era. I, I you know? love Don't Look Up. I think that that is yeah. a better version of, like, kind of a comment, like, a, an immediate commentary. Mm-hmm. I... I and I really liked Winning Time, uh, the Lakers show on HBO. Oh and, like, yeah, I didn't, I, I, I didn't check that out. D- don't uh, look up the. I think the ending of Don't Look Up is probably the bravest thing Adam McKay has done in a decade. Right? Like I think a lot of his stuff felt like you know what happened here. Uh, you know the story of a Cheney. You know, you know, like all these stories. It felt a lot of like, oh, you're angry about this too. So am I. Uh-huh. I'm gonna make you feel good about being angry about it. I'm like, to me, that is the liberal sort of like back padding that is annoying to me because it's not telling us anything new or doing anything interesting yeah i think that's interesting mm-hmm. part of what pulls me in is i really like his filmmaking style mm-hmm. i think that the way that he felt like is is the abruptness the like the the use mm-hmm. of color the use of mixed media like the the actual filmmaking of it really pulls me in and gives me more openness to the narrative i think because mm-hmm. I'm i'm so drawn to it but yeah, like, why do I think that Don't Look Up is a much better way of telling the story about, like, a global catastrophe than I think Glass Onion is, right? They are they are both sort of pandering to mm-hmm. liberal I- ideals. I just think one is smarter. You know, I think one is just done better than the yeah. other. Like, and that's the thing. Like, I want to Don't Look Up to be a really smart satire of, of everything. And it, it just kind of felt like, yes... I know everything is screwed up. I know the power structures are screwed up. I know the rich are trying to escape this planet. Like there's, there's been people talking about this, 
Um, so like, yeah, it didn't tell me yeah, anything I, new. I, whereas, I yeah. also, and, <laughs> and so here's the thing is every time I say something about Glass Onion, my brain immediately goes to, but I could say that about this other yep. movie. Like I was saying some shit about Glass Onion that I could also say about Triangle of Sadness, but I would never say that about Triangle mm. of Sadness, right? That it was or fun. like that it's not but, subtle. Triangle yeah, Sadness yeah. isn't subtle, but I, I think yeah, it's better yeah. at doing I, I think what I think the demands for subtlety do, but, are overblown, mm. right? Like some things can be subtle. Yeah, Poetry and I don't, can be subtle, but yeah, sometimes... A kick in the face or, you know, kick in the pants is useful as an artistic yeah, And I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily need subtle for yeah. everything by any means mm-hmm. or, or nuance even for everything. Mm-hmm. But I think that one of the things around Don't Look Up is uh, completely fucking lost that thought. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, one thing you were bringing up, though, is a movie that knows what it is. And I do think this movie knows what it is. I think in general, like Ryan Johnson has a really firm grasp as a writer and as a director and as an artist of storytelling. Like you go back and hear him talk about like how he was building up The Last Jedi, which is forget the fan like fights over it. Like that is a that is a remarkable narrative of what they did, like basically upending the hero, the hero template from Star Wars and trying to ask you to accept different things. Like maybe maybe the not all the rebels are good guys. Maybe maybe there is a cost to this. Maybe not not, you know, there shouldn't just be a legendary hero. Maybe they, everybody should have a bit of that heroism. I do feel like Ryan Johnson always at least tried to do that. I think for this movie, I just really enjoyed the ride. I think, like, everybody had a lot of fun making this, and you can really tell, like, I I, I never felt bored by it. Even in the first half where I was like, oh, this is weird. Benoit Black is acting like a bit of a fanboy right now, and I can't even felt that. And to see that it was a put-on, was like, oh, yes, of course. Like, yeah, you kind of outsmarted me there, movie. Like, I expected that, too. I think that there is value to uh, to to preaching to the choir uh-huh. in some respects, depending on the goals of what you're trying to do. And there's value to the solidarity of being in, in relation with other people who are also outraged. It's why fucking church is what it is, uh-huh. right? Like, uh-huh. you come together in community with yeah. like-minded yeah. people. And so I do, like, with something like Don't Look Up, I think that there is value in, like, yeah, we all know the world is fucking ending, and we know that there are all these horrible people who are, like, making it worse. Um, and, like, I see you and you see me and we're, like, we're helpless together. It's why protests mean a lot to people. Uh-huh. Not because it really does a lot, but it's because it brings people to feel connected to one another in moments of outrage or whatever. So uh, I think that there is a little bit of that happening in some of the, in this whole series of movies that we're talking about, uh-huh. right? About, like, the idea of of showing the utter horrifyingness of class inequality uh, and inequity in general um, and letting us like kind of laugh at it and letting us like connect with each other being like, yeah, we do not live in a good world mm-hmm. and like we need a little bit of reprieve from it. So I, th- I think yeah. there's something yeah. around that that has value in some of these films, despite my mm-hmm. like kind of uh, mediocre uh, opinion about any of yeah. them. I think my thing about it, I don't want to just make this a don't look up episode because I feel like I'm done with that movie. But <laughs> it was trying to be a satire, right? And, like, for me, the gold standard of, like, satire is strange love. Mm. You know, whereas that movie has aged so well. And, like, you go back to it, it's like, man, that is, it's everything. That's everything right now of, like, how our societies run and how we're thinking and how the military-industrial complex works. Um, and talk about a movie I with like, no subtlety. Yeah. No subtlety. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. The planes I, I, are I was, fucking. The planes, <laughs> indeed. Like, yeah. And I think this movie kind of has, at least in terms of satire, has a little more bite to it. Than something like Don't Look Up, which just didn't really work for me until the end. But I do want to say, like, um, I appreciate, like, how Ryan Johnson crafts these narratives. And in this movie and the first Knives Out, 
and honestly, even Last Jedi, I, I kind of have to be like, is he, is he going to basically like highlight another like, um, you know, woman of color as like the actual protagonist of this movie? And he kind of, he does it again here. He tried to do it in Last Jedi, and they kind of messed up with Rose afterwards. Um, but I do appreciate him for that too. So it's like it's all these things, the way he tells stories and who he's highlighting and who the stories are actually about. I think are really interesting because um, the new the the second character Janelle Monae plays is so sympathetic. Like she just her sister died because these assholes, uh, you know, you know, lied about her in court, and this guy straight up figure you know murdered her. Okay, and this whole plan to do that. But yeah. some questions. So I haven't seen yes. Don't Look Up, but right, it's a comet that mm-hmm. is climate change. Right, that's that's that movie. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This movie, I. I am a little lost at the MacGuffin of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is Janelle's Andy character. So like the actual Andy who the actual Andy, was yeah. a black woman who gathered together mm-hmm. a group of people and then they lied on her in court and then she she got dead. Like <laughs> Is she a <laughs> hero in this movie? Like, are we supposed well, to she, feel... Well, she was the one who was like, you cannot put hydrogen in people's homes, you idiot. Right. Like, that that her, that was her stand to be like, you cannot use my company to do this. This is ridiculous and stupid. And that that was kind of the reason she, she like, tried to end their relationship, like, with uh, with Miles Braun. And then the, the story is, like, he sort of pushed her out of the company. Like, I don't want to villainize yeah. this character that we never actually meet because mm-hmm. I don't know enough about her, but I got the sense that, like, her sister really doesn't know what happened. Like, she read her journals mm-hmm. or what have you, but, like, there could have been, like, I'm, tr- I mean, I'm not, again, not yeah. to defend Elon Musk, but there yeah. could have been, like, a I'm trying to make a clean energy <laughs> thing happen, even though mm-hmm. the lithium batteries uh, that we're going to need are also going to destroy, like, further destroy Central Africa. But, like, mm-hmm. the... What she could very well have been like, no clean energy, like not that. I want to do this other I mean, thing. Sure, like, sure, anything is possible. That's not in the text of the movie. Yeah. But I have no idea. I mean, the text of the movie. The text of the movie is she was like, no, yeah. to this idea, flat no, and she was kicked out because of that. And all her friends turned on her because they they suckle at this billionaire's teat, you know. And I found that really compelling. You know that revenge structure for the second half, at least. I want to say so. You you said the word storytelling a few times, and I think mm-hmm. that uh, I wanted to uh, I wanted to acknowledge Ryan Johnson. Uh, the only Oscar nomination this movie got was for original screenplay. I think he is mm-hmm. uh, a wonderful writer. I do think this like I'd love to read the screenplay actually, especially I think adapted screenplay, right? Like sequels are immediately oh. adapted. So yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Um, but I think it was one screenplay thing. Yeah, you're and. Right. Uh, I think that he he probably also is very involved in a lot of the other design elements of this, but mm-hmm. costume and production design also, I think, did 80% of the storytelling for this movie. And there was so much that I did love. Like, I think I said this, Anita, you weren't on the episode, but when we did an episode about um, The Witch, and we were talking about, why well, can't I remember that filmmaker who just made The Northman um, yeah, Robert Eggers. Eggers. Oh. Where, like, yep. I don't think he's particularly interested in, like, what the story is that he's telling, but it's such a craft masterpiece that it's like, mm-hmm. well... He's a vibe, dude. Yeah. He exists in and the And it's vibes, like, this is... And he wants to present this. This is beauty. Yeah. This makes you feel a mm-hmm. lot of feelings because of what you're just seeing and not even necessary, and, and the sound design and everything, not even necessarily, like, 
whatever the story is. Like, mm-hmm. this is a movie that I do think you can be, like, pretty checked out of the story and still have a good time. <laughs> like, that yeah. is... Even, it is pretty complex. Like, the, the twists and turns, like, if you, if you, like, blink out for a minute during a major twist, like, you're probably lost for, for a big chunk of the movie, right? Like, uh, and the thought Andy was dead. You know, what's, what's going on? Yeah. I think I just was so, like, not enthralled by the story that, like, there were mm-hmm. times where I was like, I'm not sure I really know what's happening like i might have missed it but sure, i guess sure, i don't sure. care like i don't it's a good vibe it is a good vibe <laughs> yeah. yeah it is a good it's a hangout movie you're hanging out with these characters even though they're kind of shit bags um some of them are kind of fun to be with like i like all these actors and i want i see janelle monet over there in the corner seat <laughs> yeah and it's sort of like that simpsons episodes of uh you know the one where it's like that small guy is gonna do something <laughs> and i want to see what he does um, so I do kind of feel like that, but, uh, his, his visual storytelling too, like he's a great writer, but I think all of his movies look interesting and have really interesting, um, visual, uh, flourishes too. So definitely like, you know, a director kind of like tell like is, is saying like what things should look like and he's relying on the expertise of set dark creators and costume designers and everything. But I do feel like he had a hand in it. Absolutely. Like uh, this stuff doesn't, yeah, I mean, there, there's a, yeah. um, the reason I mentioned mm-hmm. like what the don't look up kind of MacGuffin or whatever is, and then this movie is that, like you said, he he sort of predicts like he couldn't have known what the like Elon Musk yeah. Twitter of 2022 yeah. would have been in 2020 when he wrote the movie. And here you have a half dozen like rich weirdos who all have some personal uh, like blackmail or whatever reason why they have to be devoted to Miles Braun. Okay. And in today's world, we have people without millions of dollars who also feel that they have to be devoted to this For idol. Sure. Um, but there is a moment that, like, honestly, as a storytelling piece is so perfect, and it is that Miles Braun is dressed like Tom Cruise's character from Magnolia yes. in the flashbacks. Yes. Getting the wrong lessons from Absolute, that, I guess. Like, like of, of course that idiot would do that. Of yes. course. I mean... Of course, he's a role model. I've been modeling yeah. myself after <laughs> quiz kid Donnie Smith, unfortunately, ever since I saw Magnolia, <laughs> which is also the wrong lesson to take from that movie. <laughs> but um, there's, there's just like where I get the sense that all, automatically I'm like, great, I'm not, I'm not going to listen to a word out of this guy's mouth because I know exactly like who he idolizes. You know who he is. Yeah. You know who he is. Like, there's that. It's all those little touches. There's the one little, there's the, like, time cover of him, like, holding up the, like, the the napkin, yeah. right? And that is a direct copy of the Elizabeth yes, Holmes yes. holding up the Theranos thing. It's like, all those little touches, like, oh. The Rothko. You, you do know what you're that's doing. That's hanging upside yeah. down. Um, there's, <laughs> there's also, you know, here we are critical of the media that we love, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this, I think, like, I feel weird that I'm, soft peddling this movie but i think a i'm i may be the only one of us who made the mistake of seeing the movie see how they run in theaters i i i've not seen that but i've heard yeah it's like so-so. agatha yeah, christie yeah. shows up like mm-hmm. there's a there's mm-hmm. these poirot movies that poor kenneth Branagh keeps trying to make um and it's just like i th- i think that five years ago i would have watched glass onion or this is probably how i watched knives out like really actively, I'm watching this mm-hmm. with a desire to solve this story on my own. Like I'm, I've got to be half a step ahead of this movie. Mm-hmm. 
And I think by the time I got to Glass Onion, uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe the pandemic wore me down. I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to watch, like, wash over (laughs) me. And I enjoyed so much of it aesthetically that, like, though the storytelling didn't do a lot for me, I was like, this, that's not what this movie is trying to be. (laughs) So that's interesting because, like, when I watched Knives Out, you know, I wasn't particularly trying to solve them. I was just, I, I was watching it just like a wash over me. I'm just going to watch this thing. It's very aesthetic, great sweaters, mm. you know, whatever. And um, and I enjoyed the ride. I think part of the difference with this is that it becomes. And I'm not I don't uh-huh. feel this way overall about everything all the time, but it like <laughs> it becomes a little too real well, in ways that I'm like, I got to deal with this shit every fucking day. It's true. It's you know, true. Yeah. like yeah. it's like I'm. I'm I'm engaged like and it's not just like I have to deal with racism and sexism and shit every day. It's like like the specifics of like Twitter internet culture mm-hmm. and maybe for me it's specifically I'm like no thank yeah. you. Like I've done this enough. Yeah. I've been yeah. the target of this shit enough. I just like it, it isn't something that I I am just going to like like enjoy the ride of. And 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 this might be related too because I was thinking when you were talking about don't look up that I'm like I forget exactly what you said that triggered this thought, okay. but I, I think it might be, a, you know, we all approach film and this is the beauty of of it is we approach films based on our moments in time that we are in and our histories and whatever. And so there are more points in to don't look up for me than there are in Glass Onion. Like, for example, the the female scientist being attacked by the Internet mm-hmm. in the most believable way yeah. that would ever happen. So so there here's a contradiction I just shared, right? Where one is like, in that case, I was like, yes, this is what would happen. And like, I'm so glad you're calling this out and identifying these like beats. Whereas in Glass Onion, I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, like I'm like, I'm tired. Like I, uh-huh. I don't yes, MRAs are pieces of shit. Why are we following you yeah. around? Uh-huh. Like these people are not good people. Why are you making me spend time with them? But it, it's about uh, the why if, of it. Like the why of it is, I don't think it's a waste of time, right? Like these people are pieces of shit, but one is uh, what running to be is actually the governor of Connecticut yeah. or running to be. One is a scientist who's trying to do good things, but is beholden to the shit bag. Um, yeah. You know, like who is genuinely a good scientist? The MRA dude, it just wants clout. Like he wants clout at what at whatever cost. But the joke is that he is a, He's a little cuck, too, isn't he? <laughs> He's sitting there, like, sending his yeah, girlfriend in. Like, that is that is the joke of just, like, you know. I, and I get that. Uh-huh. Like, I, I, I understand that. I just, there, you know, there's just a little bit uh-huh. of, like, okay, so what? Yeah. I mean, the, I like, certainly, so, I felt, so, yeah, so, yeah. I felt that way during Don't Look Up. And honestly, Anita, like, you were one person I was thinking of during that sequence. Like, oh, my God. I've seen this happen so many times. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, the movie does it. It's like, yes, that is what would happen. Okay, Yes, and like what? But, what are you? But okay, adding? okay. Here, here's yeah. another thing, though, is that there is character development and mm-hmm. progression in Don't Look Up, whereas in this movie, they're shitty from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Like the po- the fact that they still won't turn on him at the end of the movie, and then at the very end, when like there's literally there's no, no there's chance yeah. that they're going to get anything else from him, then they. So mm-hmm. you're like, oh, you, there's this is it. This is part to of my me, problem. That feels Thank you for realistic. having figured this out. Yeah. It, it yeah. is, but also that isn't interesting mm. to me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like not having character development and relation development, which I, mm-hmm. you know, like 
whatever, ever plot, character, all of it's important, but I can't get into yeah, plot yeah. unless I care about the characters, which is why I don't like Andor, and I'm one of the only fucking people who doesn't like that fucking show, oh, right? Oh, no. It's, Let's not, yeah, I'm I know, just going to take know. that door, I'm going to close it. That's another episode. Um, yeah, you could all live in my reality in which there is no Star Wars. Oh, no. oh God! Can I please? <laughs> I would love that reality. I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah, I know. But this is that we're not going down this pathway. <laughs> yep. But but I but I think this is it for me. Is like if uh, I, I need some evolution here mm-hmm. as opposed to two hours of just like look how bad these mm-hmm. people are. It's there is and conflict. Yes, yes, it's realistic, yeah. but it just doesn't do it for there me. There is conflict, and I do think like especially now like this this movie happened. Uh, I think I saw it like a month after Musk took over Twitter or something. And like seeing all his little billionaire cronies like join together with him. It's like, yeah, buddy, we could do this. You got VC shitbag Calacanis out there being like, put me in coach. I'll I'll help lead this company. (laughs) Just seeing this little like cabal of rich idiots come together to do absolutely nothing, to run a social network the way making all the mistakes all these companies have made over the past decade, like to me, that was sad and very hilarious. So to see to see these people come together and kind of just be, you know, shitbacks to each other and like probably will turn on each other like the minute they, they can. I don't know. I, 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 I yeah. enjoyed laughing at them because I am tired of crying about like what is happening in reality. Like yeah. I'm spending the real life being <laughs> like, fair. oh, we're we're due. We are just kind of like you got Musk over there. You've got the politicians like who are not really holding big tech to account even though they pretend to like it's all the reality of the situation is so bleak i think in reality in the real world right now it's like it was very nice to go on vacation to a greek island and be like ha you are dumb <laughs> and i can i can laugh at you being dumb and also there there is humanity to it like there is character to it um i, I don't think they're all just like face i don't think they're all like empty archetypes I think there's something about them all that I find kind of interesting, but it really is power. Okay, yeah. it, is it that, or is it just that these are good actors that bring a lot to it can be both. more hollow I characters, think it can right? Be, yeah, yeah, it can, it can yeah. be both. Like, yeah. There's a reason yeah. all of these actors are chosen. I think this is a spectacular cast. In particular, I just have to say, like, pretty much everything Batista does in this movie, I think is hilarious, because he is one of my favorite actors right now, just as a wrestler, like, going into this, and, like, everything he does, he kind of, like, adds something to it. Here, like, I think he's going on, like, with the idea that he knows what these shitbags are like, and he is trying to be a performative, hyper-masculine, men's right advocate, but uh, at the same time, like, he has no real power of his own, uh-huh. right? Like, he is, he's doing all this for more more Twitch followers, more more little followers from his billionaire friend. Um, you know, he will send his girlfriend out to, to you know, do favors for him, basically, um, but has no real power of his own. So as a as an exploration of power, you know, I found that all kind of fascinating too. But yeah, this movie's not for everyone. I think I think I can I, I've come to that point because I other people I've heard call this movie dumb dumb dumb. I just I had to turn off that podcast right there because I'm like, there is more going on here. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe you think it's stupid, but I wouldn't call it dumb. You know, maybe it, it's just like not my style of humor or something, but yeah, there, I, I think there is a lot. There is something. So just looking at the three movies we're talking about this little mm-hmm. season, um, that Triangle of Sadness does overtly and Glass Onion and The Menu don't do, which is like <laughs> actually engage with the real world politics of like race yes. and sex and a way mm-hmm. that I think Glass Onion, and we'll talk about The Menu next week, but flatten that in a way that isn't... Uh, that's that's I think studios saying like you know we want to have for more diverse casts but we're not actually going to like have authenticity in this type of storytelling, um, mm-hmm. and so there were a lot of things 
we talked about triangle of sadness like the sort of um the little striations within like one group of people who hold capital or power and the little striations between like the service class and the the differences there here like this movie i do feel like if i like it asks it makes me ask questions that the movie itself doesn't ask which is Uh of course like you're maybe this is all extra textual but like so Andy, Janelle Monet's character, is this like very powerful, potentially like uh, climbing the ladder tech. I mean, she she she's at the top of the ladder. Like she started this company. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. ha- does she have a relationship with her sister who's a nurse? Does she? That's something I wish the movie kind of explored that. Like it, it does kind of hint at it. Like once she moved on, like once she moved on to the big city. Yeah. Um, she kind of disconnected. That is a very common thing. Yeah. And I found, I also found that really believable too, especially if you're coming from, um, you know, if you're coming from a poor background, right. Or a background where you are not near power right. or people with money, like you kind of have to, you kind of have to excise that part of yourself to become this new thing. Uh, it brings to mind, I don't know if you both have seen the movie Babylon, no. which is also a thing of, of heated discussion right now. I, I think it's kind of fascinating and kind of wild and also um, basically stars an immigrant character who has to divorce his his identity as a Mexican immigrant to succeed in Hollywood business. Like, yeah. let's pretend he's from Spain. And like, I find that all very pointed, but um, it's in the background. Yeah. Those are things mentioned. And I think you have to read into it. I, fu- I definitely found that. Like, that seemed believable. And also, Andy's sister, like, she, before she's pretending to be Andy, like, she... She sounds like a Southern yeah. lady, you know, like it, it is a sensibility like Janelle Monet's entire like character and voice and demeanor really shifts. And I am I'm based outside of Atlanta right now. So I, you know, I, I hear people in the South. I yeah. see people and like just the way her demeanor shift, I found to be like, oh, man, it's sort of like somebody from down here really, really ended up in this movie or something. So and it's something I found it like real. that mm-hmm. is a uh, a real thing that um, Jordan Peele's Us I think yes. is so yes. beautifully uh, tells that story of like what happens when you are trying to like wrestle power from the very few people who have it and you're one of the outsiders. Um, and yeah, so this like there were there's this really interesting um, ensemble cast and we have a difference from Knives Out where everyone is in the same family except for Ana de Armas. And so that mm-hmm. positions her as this outsider and Benoit Blanc as the outsider but then in this, like, I did want to know more about Dave Batista's, like, how does he relate to these people? We get to see yeah, a, a little yeah. moment of him with his mom, Jackie Hoffman, which love her, put her in everything. So um, or like Peg, played by Jessica Henwick, who is Kate Hudson's assistant. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Is she also in- complicit in this thing? Is she just there? Like, there, mm-hmm. there were questions again of like okay we have like several people of color in this in this crew and how does that play out like the one in power was killed yeah and everybody else like is is trying to like move around that peg is interesting and i think um that actress like i love her uh, jessica henwick also great in matrix resurrections she is great in everything she's great Um, in iron fist and okay, yeah, she's well, great yeah, in it. Yes, I, I've heard, I've heard, she I've seen great. some of her in Iron Fist. I that is one thing I was like, I don't, I'm not going to put myself through this. It's... I don't even need to. This show does not even even need to exist. Um, <laughs> but her character in particular I was like, yeah, 
she even says to herself, like, um, she's trying to save uh, her, you know, herself from Kate Hudson's stupidity. Like, did you really think this is where they make sweats? <laughs> like that, that sort of, that sort of realization and her trying to, she, she is trying to save herself and her, her position, her, you know, little position by helping Kate Hudson's character. And I thought she's interesting too. Like, yeah. I think Peg is interesting because she is fully aware, like, my boss is a racist idiot. Yeah. You know, and I, I exist to serve her. And what does that make me? I wish this movie like left some time for reflection. And from what Peg. can I get yeah. out of this? Like mm-hmm. if I'm putting myself through this for five, ten years, like a lot of people yeah. do in those kinds of roles, can I get ahead? Can I get mm-hmm. something? Um, and then of course, like I think that the character that Leslie Odom Jr. is playing is really interesting too, because he again this is where the styling i just loved so much like there's something about his fashion and his look where i was like you're oh he wears like a selvage um lab yep. coat you know yep. like this bespoke lab coat you know, i mean he knows what's up he knows yeah. what's up like he's probably he says, so rich and like at the <laughs> same time i do feel like he's he knows he's the smartest person in the room yeah. And, and it's a smart person being beholden to an, a genuine idiot. A genuine right? idiot, like that, yeah. That early conversation that they have, like, listen, listen, we don't love these ideas are stupid, but look at this fax I got, child plus NFT. <laughs> and apparently whatever that was, <laughs> it, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. And uh, maybe it's also because I'm a little brain broken too, because I'm on Twitter too much <laughs> and I'm in the tech world. I'm like, yes, I, I, I was probably the only one cackling in the theater at that. But to me, that was hilarious. But that character is interesting because he, he also has the presence of mind to be like, we can't do this. But I don't have the power to tell my billionaire, you know, boss that this is yeah. a bad idea. Like it is it's conflict. And I wish I wish like more of those characters like we're dealing with that throughout the movie. But the movie also has to like progress the mystery and kind of keep us going there, too. So. A lot of that stuff feels like side stories, you know, that we kind of have to gather as we watch everything. Yeah. Let's take a moment to thank well, our sponsor, Chat GPT, who uh, wrote this episode. <laughs> <laughs> all hail, all hail the AI overlords. <laughs> Great. <laughs> as, um, as we say, Megan did nothing wrong. <laughs> Megan is correct. I thought you respected me. What is it? I thought you liked me. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, I love it. <laughs> oh, so good. All right, y'all. We'll be right back with some breakouts. Hey, FFR listeners, are you signed up to our Patreon yet? If you're not, you're missing out on special content made exclusively for our patrons. And if you're not a patron, that means that you're not helping me get paid. And if you're not helping me get paid, that means my good little dog Griffin isn't getting the good treats. Head on over to patreon.com slash femfreak. That's F-E-M-F-R-E-Q. Become a patron to get great content and also to make sure my dog Griffin gets the good treats. Oh, and you get the good treats as well, which in your case would be quality discussions about media. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us recently. Kat, what are you having feelings about? I just started listening to the If Books Could Kill podcast, which great is title. so good. Um, it's from Michael Hobbs, whom... Uh, who I know from Maintenance Phase and the You're Wrong About podcast. I've only listened to a little bit of You're Wrong About. I really love Maintenance Phase, which he co-hosts with Aubrey Gordon. Uh, Maintenance Phase, as I also want to shout out to anyone listening, is about uh, 
fat phobia and diet culture and all of the ways that our society is constantly uh, reinforcing fat phobia. But it's also like it is a podcast that has changed my life because Aubrey and Michael will go into um, let's get into BMI. Let's get into the all of the methodology problems with BMI. Let's get into why BMI is a flawed uh, indicator of health, you know, and then from there, maybe you can start to unravel your other uh, preconceptions of weight <clears throat> and health and body and how we treat each other and how it's affected, of course, by racism and sexism and classism and American exceptionalism and all these other ways. So Michael Hobbs takes this kind of look uh, into research, this research into research and methodology. And in his new podcast, If Books Could Kill, he's kind of taking the like um, pop psychology or pop economics books that are really popular at airports um, and getting into what's fucked up about them. <laughs> and I think the first episode is Freakonomics. Uh, he yes. goes into Sorry. the tipping point. The I also destroy it. Yes. No, yes, yes. Oh, this is so exciting. I also listened to his episode. There's only about six episodes out now. Um, I listened to the one about um, the game and uh, mystery and Neil Strauss and the whole, like, negging thing. So just really going into, like, um, in particular, the, the Tipping Point episode, getting into, okay, we know that these are some really racist um generalizations that Malcolm Gladwell is coming to and he's using this like quote unquote science and numbers to tell this story but let's actually look at what those numbers are that he's presenting and analyze why that's not a good sample size or whatever it is like so it's I appreciate it because it's like he's doing the research that I'm not going to do (laughs) of you know if I if I've gotten the the log line about what this book is um I need someone to to actually unpack it for me. And so I really am appreciating it so much. Um and like I know I love that I love that there's an episode on the secret <laughs> and also men are from Mars, women are from yeah. Venus. That fucking old ass like was it a six was it from the sixties or Yeah. No, it's newer than that. Anyways, whatever. That fucking dumbass book that was so and popular. It's so interesting. Like obviously, and I don't know if every book that they cover is going to be a nonfiction book like like these have been. You know, I think there could be I would be interested to hear them get into like an Eat Pray Love, which I guess is also nonfiction, right? It's her memoir. But um but or or something that's just a little more narrative. Um and also kind of get into like all right, don't take this at face value. Let's actually like read into it. So um, if you uh, are a fan, what I also appreciate is that um, <coughs> I, you don't have to have read the book to appreciate the episode about it. So um, that's my freak out. Nice. Anita. Great. What about you? The, no, uh, well, me. Okay, I'll go. Um, so have you watched the show Fleischman is in Trouble? Not yet. So good. It's on Hulu. Tremendous. It's so fucking good, mm-hmm. y'all. I know you think I hate everything, but I really don't. Uh, I, like, could not, like, I had to pace myself because I loved this show so mm-hmm. much. And what, and, like, so it's Jesse Eisenberg, Lizzie Kaplan, fucking love, love Lizzie Kaplan, uh, Claire Danes, and Adam Brody. And it's, like, I don't know. I think we appreciate it because of our age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it you know, is like, laser-targeted as people becoming 40 very soon. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like I, yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I feel like it's like a, a show that is for a particular audience and of me. Um, 
and, and or you know of my generation or whatever and like it is about uh, a couple going through a divorce and like it is on a larger level it is about people uh getting older and their lives not being what they thought it would be and that marriage and careers and life and everything is just becomes a little rote or becomes not like exciting and you know kind of coming to terms with being fed a lie about the myth of like what it what it means to settle down and have a career and all this shit um as i say that it sounds kind of dumb but i think the show does it in a way that is really really smart um and i'm not gonna spoil anything but uh through throughout the show i had this like kind of niggling feeling about gender stuff that was really bothering me and it was intentional mm-hmm. like it was done it in, sort and of when like i realized it was done too so yeah <laughs> it, when it was when i and it's it's very subtle right like i don't expect everyone to pick up on it or you know identify it and and i don't mean that in a pretentious way but like it, it was it was it wasn't enough to deter me from watching the show right um and the fact that it was intentional just made me think that these like film like these writers were just know exactly what they're one doing one writer so, one writer it's taffy one writer did the whole thing adapting her own book which is like i think that's what that's it that it is a singular talent wow. kind of knowing exactly the story they want and to, to be tell. able to adapt yeah having the skill to adapt a book your book that like uh-huh. you as precious to you into this format it's just it is phenomenal it's a phenomenal show it's like yeah. the, I, I haven't been this excited for television it is. in a long it's one long of those time things i call like a miracle show because like first of all an author is rarely given the chance to do that adaptation. Right. certainly if you've never done a tv show before uh i do see it i see michael goldbach as another writer credited but it's mainly it's mainly taffy and it is tremendous. So yeah, I'd say everybody check it out. Put shout out to Lizzie Kaplan for genuinely always Dude. being amazing, but also Claire Danes, like Claire, crying Claire Danes. Uh. Like there is one whopper of an episode that will uh. you will just have to uh. turn off your TV, and just go for a walk. Uh. You know, after that episode. So there was so much yeah, going on like, the show, and also oh god, I just want to like have a spoiler filled conversation about this too because yeah, yeah, like yeah. there's certain pacing things that they do that you're like. You're kind of surprised by um, that. You're like, oh, you chose like you waited to this moment to do this thing that like we expected to come or whatever. I just it's very, very good. Very good. I highly very good. recommend also, it. Also, if you I, yeah. I think it's if you've seen anything with these people, it is the cast is so pointed. Right. Because our millennial, the millennial generation grew up watching Claire Danes. Right. Oh, yeah. in My so-called life and Romeo and Juliet. We saw Lizzie Kaplan in Party Down. We saw Adam Brody in the OC, Jesse Eisenberg and like all his early stuff. Now we're seeing them as 40-somethings. And I think that touches something in us. It's like, oh, they grew up with you. Right. You grew up with them. Oh. You're old now. You're 40. Yeah. And this is the halfway <laughs> point. And when you've, and the movie, yeah. when you've seen yeah. Jordan Catalano turn into Morbius, you, oh, you need the palate cleanser of seeing Angela Chase. <laughs> you will Chase never be the same again. You'll never be the same again. Anything also, else. Out, Josh Radner, the lead of How I Met Your Mother, a show which everybody, a ton of people were watching, that it ended. We were like, oh, we hate that. Yeah. We're never going to talk about it again. <laughs> But he is great here too. Like everybody's so oh, good. I, I've got good to see this. Out. I've been waiting for no mm-hmm. good reason, but uh, I'm. You've just all reminded me. Yeah, I, I think like the it does. In, it starts as being very male focused. I think that is on purpose. So to anybody who's like, this is about a dude just going through the dating apps and having a grand old time. I'd say power through that. Yeah, because it's more and, than and that. the title yeah. is intentional. Yes. Yeah, cool. In the way it's phrased, so yeah. Um, and and I will say too that like it's not. Yeah. Anyways, there's a bunch. Just just fucking watch it mm-hmm. and then come back and let's like gush okay. about it because it's so good. 
Um, Devendra, do you have a freak out for us? I do. Um, I've been going through Sundance, uh, virtual Sundance. So I've been watching a lot of the releases that's happening this week. Um, and one I really want to shout out is Polite Society, the new movie by Nita Manzur. And holy hell, this movie is just fantastic. Is this the Nita stunt Manzur, woman? This is a oh, stunt woman. Oh, I can't yeah, wait so Nita to see Manzur this. Nita Manzur is the creator of We Are Lady Parts, a wonderful oh, show on Peacock. Yes. Yeah, about mm. a group of like Muslim teens and 20-somethings doing a punk rock band type of thing. Uh, I love that show. This is a movie about a young a teenager who wants to grow up to be a stunt woman. She's a young British Pakistani Muslim, you know, girl. She wants to be a stunt woman. Not really many people like looking like her in that, uh, you know, in that field. Her sister wants to be an artist, but has just like dropped out of art school and is kind of like just like drifting through life. And it is about their relationship. Um, it's about, you know, her sister finds herself somehow chosen to be the chosen bride for a very like uh, rich family, um, you know, to, to be married off basically um, in a very modern way. And it's about the stunt woman character, Rhea Khan, uh, trying to stop this marriage and save her sister and yada, yada, yada. It is filled with fantastic martial arts. I think it's really well written, too. Like, it is, it is sort of Scott Pilgrim in the way oh. that some fights will just end up being, uh, some arguments will end up being a martial arts yeah. fight. And the movie doesn't really, like, need to explain it. It's like, yeah, that, that's, that just happened. Move on. Um, it's that combination was also great writing about sisterhood. Uh, it definitely explores like the the place of like being a Muslim uh, teenager in Britain today. Uh, the gender roles like placed upon you, like what you should be doing with your life. It explores like all these things, but it's also a ton of fun and it has a ton of heart. And it's really well made. I can also tell that Nita Manzur has like the same cinematic sensibilities as I do when it comes to like action movies because I love action movies. They're direct riffs on Crouching Tiger and The Matrix in this movie in some like in some sequences. Mostly, though, it's a lot of fun. For me, this is sort of like the everything, everywhere, all at once for this year, mm. except it's about a British Pakistani teenager. I love it. Nice. That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. I already put it on my Letterboxd wish list. Oh, I'm going to see if I can um, if I can still get a ticket. It's going to be in theaters at the end of April, oh, I believe. Okay. So oh, you'll great. be able to see it soon. Um, amazing. Fantastic. Well, that is our show for today. We glass onioned. Thank you, Devendra, for joining yeah. us and for great. going in the ring with Anita on a movie that she has been dreading <laughs> recording. Well, certainly, I was I, I was kind of doing this uh, out loud during the Tar review as well. I was like, <laughs> I mean, listen, look, there's a I lot going like on here. I there was I um, there was someone else I asked to be on this episode and they're like but you didn't like it and I did I was like I know that makes a better episode <laughs> it does make you it know better. like yeah and so yeah. I like really appreciate that you like I'm excited that you liked it and you're willing to like dive into it with me Those because are the best I conversations. think yeah. like it, yeah. that's what it is yeah yeah absolutely so yeah absolutely so where can people uh, listen to your podcast read your writing etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, you can find me on the Engadget podcast, Engadget.com. I also, you know, review tech and write news and stuff there. And I also uh, podcast about movies and TV at the Slash Filmcast. Sorry, the Filmcast. We are no longer the Slash Filmcast. At the Filmcast.com. I'm on Twitter at, at Devendra. I'm on Mastodon at Devendra at Mastodon.social. It's going to take me a while to remember that, but yeah. <laughs> nice uh i'm anita sarkeesian and you can find me at anita sarkeesian on all the things i'm kat spada and i'm on twitter at cat underscore ex underscore machina and please be sure to follow feminist frequency at fem freak on the stuff the stuff if you are a patreon subscriber be sure to stick around for the bonus episode with our special guest i can't wait to find more things that we can argue about oh boy 
If you like the show, please help other people find it by subscribing, rating, and commenting on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Thank you for listening. Bye!